Well, did any of you notice anything unusual, maybe even concerning, about Christine and I this morning? What was it? Yes! How many noticed that we were not wearing our wedding rings? <laughs> like, well, Christina did, because she's not wearing it. That's great, honey. Well, uh, here they are. I have them in my pocket. So here they are. Now, I want to ask, what are, what are these wedding rings all about? What are they all about? Uh, marriage is a sacred covenant instituted by God. Over 14 years ago, Christine and I made vows and entered into loving covenant relationship with each other. I gave Christina a ring. Now, here are two. I gave her one before, so I'm really generous. Uh, but, but I gave Christina a ring as a sign and seal of my covenant promises to her. The ring that she wears reminds and assures her of my loving covenant with her. She can look at her ring and she can know another loves me, cherishes me, pledged themselves to me, belongs to me, is one with me, is bound to me in covenant. Christina gave me a ring as well, same thing. Now, can I get one of my kids to very quickly come up and give their mother the rings back? Quickly, quickly. Like the wind, son, like the wind. Give those to your dear mother. All right. Thank you. Now, let me ask this. Do these rings make Christina and me faithful to each other? No. They remind us that we're in covenant, but they can't make us faithful to that that covenant. The rings signify our promise, which is kept by our sincere love and faithfulness. So the ring I gave Christina is assurance for her as long as my love and faithfulness are consistent with the covenant that I made with her. The Bible describes circumcision as a sign and as a seal. Circumcision was the old covenant sacrament, the sign and seal of the gospel given in promises, types, and shadows. Zacharias Ursinus wrote this, sacraments therefore accomplish the same thing which pledges do, for they both signify that something is promised and at the same time confirm us in regard to the same thing, end of quote. A sign signifies and a seal confirms. Circumcision, as Scripture teaches, signified and confirmed the gospel for believers and their children in the Old Covenant. Now, if you've been tracking with me so far and you agree that the covenant God made with Abraham ultimately promised Christ and the new heaven and new earth, and that Abraham was a believer justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as we see in Romans 4 and Galatians 3, you should also agree that circumcision was the sign and seal of being justified by grace alone, through faith, in God's gospel promises. I hope to show you from Scripture that circumcision was not ultimately a mark of Jewish ethnicity, nor about the promise of Canaan, but rather about the gospel. The gospel. 
and entrance into the church under the old covenant. I want to answer one simple question. What was circumcision all about? What was circumcision all about? The answer to that question heavily influences interpretation and application of important New Testament doctrines. And I'll say up front, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to trick you. I'm trying to lay a foundation for you that helps you connect uh, major doctrinal dots in Scripture, dots that perhaps you've never connected before. And I want to show you beautiful things in Scripture, perhaps things that you've never seen before. And I trust the Spirit to work. Our text today begins with these words, and God said to Abraham, pause there. Now, what do we know about Abraham at this point? Well, God graciously chose Abraham, redeemed Abraham, and entered into covenant relationship with Abraham. God made him gospel promises, and by grace alone, Abraham believed those gospel promises and was counted righteous. So when we get to Abraham in Genesis 17, 9, Abraham is a believer, a believer saved by grace through faith in God's promises, which pledged the Lord Jesus Christ. And Abraham is a member of the Old Testament church, as was Adam, Eve, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Shem, and others who all trusted in God's gospel promise of redemption through the coming serpent-slaying seed. Yes, Abraham was impatient, and his faith was unfocused, but he believed, and he was justified by faith, through faith. But he needed God to strengthen his faith, which is exactly what God did for him. Last time, we looked at God's as for me in verses 4 through 8. Today, we'll look at God's as for you in verses 9 through 14. We're about to see how God wanted Abraham to keep the covenant. No doubt, God unilaterally made the covenant with Abraham. But God also gave Abraham covenant responsibilities. Responsibilities. Keep in mind, the Abrahamic covenant is not a covenant of works. As in, obey perfectly and live, disobey at all and die. It's a covenant of grace. And the condition is receiving grace through faith. That's important. That's very important. Abraham responded to God's grace, sovereign grace, with faith. So Abraham is a believer in Genesis 17. Let's begin here. Believers respond to God's sovereign grace by keeping God's covenant. In verse 9, God said to Abraham the believer, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. Again, verses 9 through 14 are God the suzerain laying out the covenant conditions for the vassals, Abraham and his offspring. Abraham and his offspring were commanded to exercise their faith by keeping the covenant. Blessings are implied here, and a curse is given in verse 14, as you'll see. Now, with whom did God establish the covenant? Well, verses 7 and 8 make it clear. Abraham and his offspring. Who was commanded to keep God's gracious covenant? Look at verse 9. It says this, You shall keep my covenant, 
you and your offspring after you through their generations. Why did Abraham's offspring, who weren't born yet, need to keep the covenant? Because God put them into the covenant with Abraham and God's gospel promises were for them as well as for Abraham. What, what, what was God's covenant of grace again? What covenant were they put into? Well, if you add up all of God's promises to Abraham from Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17, you essentially get these big points. God would bless Abraham and make him great. In fact, in Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. God promised Abraham a son. In fact, Abraham would be a father of a multitude of nations and kings would come from him. And God also promised Abraham and his offspring a land. But most importantly, God promised Abraham this, and you can see it in the text. I will be your God and their God, which implies and you and your offspring shall be my people. That Emmanuel principle, I will be your God, you will be my people, is at the heart of the Abrahamic covenant. But the New Testament teaches us that the promises given to Abraham and his offspring were preeminently about Christ and redemption and eternal inheritance of the new heaven and new earth. That's very important in understanding the covenant of circumcision. The Abrahamic covenant adds details to the covenant of grace given in Genesis 3.15. Adam broke the covenant of works. He wrecked the world. He wrecked humanity. And the Abrahamic covenant promises redemption in a son. In a son. So God was calling Abraham, the believer, to respond to sovereign grace by keeping the covenant. And the heart of the covenant was, I will be your God and you will be my people. A gospel promise. Therefore, keeping the covenant must proceed from faith in that gospel promise. Ligon Duncan said this, God's grace demands a response. And that response always entails faith and commitment and obedience. That is the appropriate response to God's grace in the covenant, end of quote. Faith, commitment, obedience. It's how you respond to the covenant. Next point. Circumcision was the assuring sign and seal of God's covenant of grace in the old covenant given to believers and their children. Listen to verse 10 again. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, that sounds like circumcision was the covenant, okay? What about all the promises of Genesis 12, 13, 15, and 17? What about, I will be your God and you will be my people? Isn't that the covenant? Well, listen again to verse 11. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you, okay? Is circumcision the covenant or is circumcision the sign of the covenant? And the answer is yes. Yes. The sign 
of God's gracious covenant is so connected to the covenant itself that God refers to the sign as the covenant. That's how close the sign is to what the sign signifies, the covenant of grace. The idea of covenant signs, not new for us. We've seen it before. Think of the rainbow from Genesis 9. Think about the tree of life from Genesis 2. God gave us a pattern in Scripture of signs which signified covenants and promises. Why do I say that circumcision was an assuring sign and seal? Well, God didn't give Abraham circumcision to make or establish the covenant. That was done before. We've studied that in the past. That's not what's going on here. God gave Abraham circumcision as assurance of the promise. Assurance of the promise. Remember, Abraham was impatient and his faith was unfocused, so God kindly gave him a sign Something to remind him and to confirm for him the gospel covenant promises that God made to him. Understand that circumcision was God's means of grace for Abraham to assure and strengthen Abraham's faith in the gospel promises. Now, I don't want to be crass. We can be adults, right, and mature here. I don't want to be crass or unnecessarily graphic, but for males, circumcision was hard to miss. Uh, Every time Abraham hit the boy's room, every time he bathed, every time he enjoyed intercourse with his wife, his faith would be strengthened in God's promises. A picture of the gospel was carved into the man, his flesh. And this is especially suitable considering what God promised. He promised an offspring, one to come. Now you may wonder, well, what about females? What's up with that? Well, females were in the covenant by means of their male familial head. At this point, we must carefully consider Adam's federal headship of humanity and Christ's federal headship of the church. Circumcision was was performed on males but represented every covenant family and household member. And again, I I don't want to be crass, but I do want to make the point, circumcision was a gracious reminder for women too. Women loved their husbands, and they cared for baby boys, and even single women helped out caring for baby boys. So females, they were not only included in the covenant, in the gospel covenant, uh, by their membership in covenant families and households, but females also frequently saw the covenant sign which assured them of God's gospel promises too. So what was circumcision all about? Was it simply a mark of Jewish ethnicity? Was it simply a sign of a land promise? Folks, it was way more than that. Way more than that. Scripture reveals that circumcision signified and sealed the gospel. Now let me show you. First, circumcision wasn't unique to Israel. Uh, The Egyptians, most ancient Semites, and the peoples around Israel were all circumcised except for the Philistines, and there's some biblical evidence for that, David. Uh, But these nations didn't circumcise infants, you see. Older males were circumcised as a sign of their entrance into manhood or perhaps the priesthood. Circumcision for Abraham and his descendants, his offspring, was about being in covenant with God. 
being in covenant with God. Second, there are many scriptures that speak about the spiritual reality of circumcision, and they are fascinating, especially Romans 4.11, which we'll get to. So listen to how scripture talks about spiritual circumcision. Deuteronomy 10.16. This is Old Testament now. Deuteronomy 10.16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, they, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That's an explanation in the Old Testament of regeneration, of new birth, of being saved of the gospel. And it's right there in the Old, old Covenant. Jeremiah 4.4 says this, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay. Circumcision signified and sealed that Israel belonged to the Lord. They had a special status before the Lord. But unless they and their offspring were circumcised of heart, it was as if they were uncircumcised. Which is the point of Jeremiah 9, verses 25 and 26, which says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Well, think about it. Why punish those who are obeying the covenant and circumcising their kids? Why do that? Verse 26. Egypt, Judah, Edom. The sons of Ammon, Moab, and all who dwell in the desert, who cut the corners of their hair, for all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in heart. Their circumcision counted as uncircumcision because of their uncircumcised hearts. Hearts! We could go to Ezekiel 44, 6 through 8. Or Acts 7, 51, but let's go to Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul told, and you got to get this, Paul told uncircumcised Gentiles, Gentile believers, they're uncircumcised, and he said this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What's he doing there? He's making a huge statement. Paul's point was that true circumcision is not about the flesh, but about worshiping God by the Spirit. Circumcision wasn't about ethnicity, because true circumcision is about hearts that love and adore and worship Christ. That's what circumcision is about. Colossians 2 verse 11 is very significant. Paul wrote this, in him... Or in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now let me ask the question here, why did Paul use circumcision language to describe gospel transformation that comes through the cross? Because circumcision in the old Covenant was a sign and seal of the gospel. The gospel. Romans 2 and Romans 4 include explicit texts. The first is Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. Listen very carefully to what Paul does here. Paul said, For no one 
is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Do you see what he's doing? Nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now wait just a minute. What are you talking about? Do you realize that Abraham was circumcised at 99 years old? And you're going to say it's not outward and physical? Ask him. He'll tell you what's going on with that. Now understand Paul's point. He continued in verse 29. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Circumcision is a matter of the heart. God commanded circumcision as an outward and physical blood rite that signified something spiritual, a transformation of the heart. By the Spirit, evidenced in faith. Faith. True Israel is God's people who trust Christ. It has nothing to do with ethnicity. Now, Romans 4. This is big, folks. This might be revolutionary for you. In Romans 4, Paul talked about Abraham being justified by faith. In verse 10, Paul asked an important question and I read it for us. He said, he said essentially this, how was faith counted to Abraham as righteousness? How does that work? What, what, what is going on there? And then Paul asked this, was it before or after he had been circumcised? And Paul answered, it was not after, but before he was circumcised. Abraham believed God, was justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then he received the old covenant sign and seal of being justified by faith. What Paul said next speaks volumes of theology. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. That's huge. That is a huge verse with huge implications of both Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. That's believer's circumcision. Circumcision was a sign and seal of the gospel. Now let's understand those terms. A semeon or sign is a mark that signals or represents something. One source said a sign is a visible clue that something has happened or will happen. A sphragis, or seal, is an impression made into hot wax, perhaps by a king, which proved genuineness. A seal was authentication. One source said a confirmation, proof, or authentication of a status. It could even mark ownership. So circumcision not only signified God's covenant, but it also sealed or confirmed or authenticated a covenant status. Why, what did circumcision seal for Abraham? Paul said, the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now connect the dots. Connect the dots. Whenever... Abraham saw his circumcision, which was often, it would remind him that he belonged to God. 
That God was his God. That God considered him righteous because of sovereign grace given through faith. That's huge. That is huge. Circumcision, it didn't justify Abraham. It didn't save Abraham. It reminded him that he was justified by believing, by his faith. Circumcision was the old covenant sign and seal of covenant status. Can you see that in Romans 4.11? I'm just trying to fairly interpret Romans 4.11. It was the cutting off of foreskin, a bloody act that symbolized death and ritual resurrection. It symbolized a cutting away of sin and a transformation of the heart. Calvin even said that circumcision was a sign of repentance. Dr. R. Scott Clark said this, Circumcision was never really about the cutting away of the foreskin. It was always, even under the types and shadows, about our need for new life, or figuratively, a new heart. The new heart, the circumcised heart, is something that only Yahweh gives, and it was promised under the types and shadows, end of quote. It gave gospel promises of spiritual change and new life. Circumcision promised the gospel and it required faith. It represented the need of heart transformation and it foreshadowed the glorious redemption in Christ. So let me ask you an important question now, if you're tracking and following this, who was supposed to be circumcised? Who was to receive the sign and seal of justification through faith and God's promise, I will be your God and you will be my people? Who was supposed to get that? Who was supposed to be assured of that? Who was supposed to benefit from that? Was it only believers after they had professed faith? And the answer is actually obvious in the text. Believers and their children and their entire households received the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. Believers and their children and their entire households. That's what Genesis 17 says. Circumcision was the assuring sign and seal of God's covenant of grace in the old covenant given graciously to believers, given to their children, and given to all of their household. This brings us to the next point. Circumcision was a sign and seal for anyone in the covenant. Anyone in the covenant. Verses 12 and 13 says this again. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Now, you know what circumcision signified and sealed. You know that from scriptural evidence. And you know that infant boys eight days old were to receive it. And you know that even slaves who were brought into Abraham's family and the slaves' children were also to receive it. Now you may think to yourself, but those little infants, they had no idea what was going on. They didn't understand that circumcision signified and sealed God's promises for them. They didn't understand the promise of a serpent slaying seed. And that's exactly right. They didn't need to. 
because God had graciously put them into the covenant of grace before they could ever comprehend it. They were in. Comprehension was not a prerequisite for being in the covenant of grace. They would come to know their covenant status as they grew and as their parents taught them and as they spent time in the covenant community. Ligon Duncan, I think humorously, I hope you find this funny because if not, it could be a little awkward. But anyway, commented on a baby boy not knowing what was going on and he said, thank heavens he doesn't. And thank heavens that he doesn't remember it. There is such thing as believer's circumcision in the Old Testament, and it's not a pretty thing. So you would definitely prefer infant circumcision over believer's circumcision in the Old Testament, I promise you. And he makes a very valid point. Even though the sacrament of circumcision signified and sealed God's promise of the gospel and justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone... And even though infant boys couldn't understand it, nonetheless, God commanded that eight-day-old baby boys receive the sign and seal because God graciously put them into the covenant. That was God's design. They were in. It cannot be argued about. They received the sign and seal of the gospel because the promise of the gospel was for them. And all believing adults entering into the covenant community of faith received the sign and seal as well. There are some stories about things like that in Scripture. Remember, Abraham was circumcised after he believed, but his son Isaac was circumcised when he was eight days old. Isaac was in the covenant of grace with his believing parents God's promises were as much for Isaac as they were for Abraham and for Sarah. They were for the children. Now, let's be very clear on this. Did this mean then that circumcision saved those those boys, saved those infants? Well, of course not. That's ridiculous. Abraham believed and then was circumcised. So circumcision was not the cause of justification. It's not the cause of, of salvation as some erroneously view the new covenant sign and seal. So that's not the case. Faith is what justified. Did bearing the mark of circumcision mean that all circumcised infants were saved? Of course not. Think about Ishmael and Esau and many from Israel who were covenant breakers unto their own eternal destruction. It didn't mean that they were saved. That's not the point of it. God didn't break his covenant. They broke it by their unbelief. Faith in God's gospel promises is the condition of the covenant. The wedding ring doesn't make you faithful. Love and faithfulness make you faithful to the covenant. Do you understand? Can you see the connection of of what I'm doing here? The infant boys were circumcised because God had made them holy. Now, what do I mean by that? He consecrated them. He sanctified them. He set them apart. They were not like the kids from the pagan nations. They were in a special status before God. God gave them the status of covenant children. The uncircumcised nations did not have that. Covenant children were not necessarily saved, but they were entitled to God's promises and blessings and would receive those promises and blessings. How? By faith. By believing, that's how you receive the benefits and blessings of the covenant. So, I would say it like this. It is unquestionable. It is 
unarguable that the children of believers were part of the one church in the Old Covenant. Was circumcision only for ethnic Israel? Absolutely not. No, because first, Abraham was redeemed from paganism, from a pagan nation. He was circumcised. And second, look at verses 12 through 13 again. Foreigners and their children were in the covenant and were circumcised because of their status in Abraham's believing household. Okay, again, representative headship was extremely relevant and important at that moment. Calvin understood it like this, quote, when God commands Abraham to circumcise all whom he has under his power, his special love towards holy Abraham is conspicuous in this, that he embraces his whole family in his grace. The whole family was included in the covenant of grace. The entire Abrahamic narrative, and this is what I'm trying to show you folks, is all about grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Again, the sign and seal of circumcision did not, absolutely did not automatically mean that all who were in the covenant and circumcised were saved. That's not what it meant. It simply signified and sealed their covenant status before God. Only if they had faith would they receive the blessings of the promised covenant. The promises in the covenant. Verses 11 and 13 both mention flesh. Circumcision was a cutting of the flesh which produced blood and blood rites in ancient times stood for a need for cleansing of sin. Remember that God killed animals to clothe Adam and Eve in their shameful nakedness. Remember that animals were, were killed and cut in two and separated in order to ratify God's covenant of grace in this bloody ceremony. Remember that after Abraham, blood would play an important role in the Mosaic sacrificial system. Circumcision was bloody and ultimately about the death and blood that cleanses from sin. Now, what if believers in the Old Covenant failed to administer the sign and seal of the covenant of grace to infant boys in their family and household? Well, it was a serious transgression. In fact, read Exodus 4, verses 24 and 26, where God almost killed Moses because he didn't obey and circumcise his son on the eighth day. God took circumcision and God took the covenant status of children very, very seriously. So my point is, denial of the sign and seal of God's covenant of grace was equivalent to rejecting God's covenant of grace and rejecting God himself. Verse 14 says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. To be uncircumcised was to be disobedient. Really, it was to be unbelieving and cut off from God's covenant people. So circumcision not only stood for God's covenant of grace, but was also the initiating blood right into the church or the covenant community of faith in the old covenant. Circumcision marked the boundaries of God's people. 
The circumcised were in the covenant along with their families and and households, and the uncircumcised were out of the covenant along with their families and households. To not circumcise was to disobey God and meant being cut off from the church, cut off from the covenant, cut off from God's promises of the gospel, and would make uncircumcised covenant breakers deserving the covenant curses. Faith was trusting God's promises for you and for your children, so true circumcision was an act of faith. And to deny the blood ritual was an act of gross unbelief. Plus, circumcision, though bloody and painful, and this I think is a really powerful point to consider, was assurance for all of God's covenant people. Assurance. Failing to circumcise a covenant child was to deprive that child of a great blessing, to to deprive them of God's means of grace, to deprive them of God's assurance and confirmation of their covenant status, to deprive them of that which could strengthen their faith as they grew up among the covenant people of God. To not circumcise covenant children would deprive them of the blood rite which reminded them that God made them a promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. Though bloody and painful, circumcision was a gracious gift to those little covenant boys and even to newly believing adult males entering the covenant. Failing to circumcise covenant children was flagrant ingratitude for God's grace and promises and was a form of withholding the gospel from children. Very serious to God. What was circumcision all about? The gospel and assuring believers of God's gospel promises. Look at the mark in your flesh and remember that the promised seed is coming. God will do it. Now, can you connect the doctrinal dots? Do do you understand the significance of circumcision and its connection to New Testament theology? If you think that circumcision was all about ethnicity and land, I love you, brother and sister. Oh, do I love you and I'm glad you're here. But chances are you'll miss how profoundly circumcision foreshadowed Christ. Last point. Jesus Christ was crucified, cut off from God, and suffered the divine curse of the broken covenant for you. See, circumcision ultimately foreshadowed the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sins. Christ was cut off from the people, beaten and taken outside of the city to die in order to make blood atonement for God's church. A covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ was cut off from God. Jesus Christ was made sin for us in order that we may enjoy all the blessings of the one covenant of grace through faith in union with our Lord and Savior and treasure and atonement, Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15 said the seed's heel would be bruised. It was. 
The promised seed came and he was cut off from God, forsaken by God, cut off from God's people. He took sin upon himself and became loathsome to God. He suffered the curse. He drank God's wrath, not because he broke the covenant. He was the only one who fulfilled the covenant. He did it because we broke the covenant. Jesus bled and died to redeem even you and even me. I love what this one article said. It goes like this. Circumcision, the sign of inclusion into the covenant community, also bore associations with death and judgment, i.e. cutting off. Though it may seem strange that God would choose a judgment symbol as an entrance rite associated with the covenant of promise, this act points toward the sacrifice of Christ who experienced divine judgment in order to bring sinners into a covenant relationship of fellowship and peace with God. I want you to hear these words again, and I want you to hear them carefully. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Folks, you and I were uncircumcised in heart, in here, not loving God. And yet Christ suffered the curse for us so that we would have a circumcised heart and begin to keep the covenant by faith. He did that for us. He was cut off. He died for us so that we would be circumcised of heart and love God and serve God and know God. So when I look at my wedding ring, okay, I can remember by looking at this that Christina is faithful to me. Christina can do the same, but you got to understand, we are not perfectly faithful to each other. (laughs) Are you kidding? Though we love each other deeply, our love is imperfect. The church of the old covenant, they could look at their circumcision and they could remember, though we fail God, God never fails us. He will send us an offspring. He will send us an offspring to redeem us with blood and he will be our God and we will be his people and this will be so because he promised. He promised us it would be so. And that same promise of grace is for you today. It's the same promise. And you know what? If you believe, if that promise is for you and you take that by faith, that promise is also for your children. Covenant children are still in the one covenant of grace. And you say, how do you know that? Nothing in Scripture, anywhere that I can see or find in Scripture tells us that God removed the children from the covenant of grace. Their covenant status doesn't mean that they're saved. You have to understand that. Faith in Christ is the condition that must be met. And until they meet that condition, it will be a covenant breaker. It's their covenant status. So... I want to leave you with several questions to get your wheels turning, okay? Several questions to ponder till we're back here in two weeks, and I hope you come back in two weeks. Next week, do you remember what I said? We're out in the grove, and then we're going to be here in two weeks. Here are the questions I want you to think about. 
Is there a sign and seal of the covenant of grace for believers today? Something that signifies and seals justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and and entrance into the church. If a sign and seal of the one covenant of grace exists today for the New Testament church, and if God has never removed children of believers from the covenant, if they still have covenant status, shouldn't covenant children receive that sign and seal? And if you answer no, Where in Scripture would you turn to make the case that God removed covenant children from covenant status? Okay. I humbly submit those things to you to get you to think. Uh, To get you to think. And if you come up with something from Scripture that you say, here's where God removed them all, I would love for you to point me to that passage so that we can agree that that children are no longer in the covenant I don't think you're going to find it. But do your research, do your thinking, come back in two weeks, and let's see some more doctrinal uh, dots connect, hopefully, by the Spirit of God and His mercy and grace. All right, let's pray. God, we are desperate for You. We need Your Holy Spirit to lead us in the truth. We need You to open our eyes to see the great unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not opposed to one another, God. Help us to see that. Help us to see that there is one glorious story of redemption, one glorious people of God, one glorious promise of grace from Genesis 3.15 on, that the whole trajectory of Scripture is about sovereign grace found in the serpent-slaying seed that you promised, that you gave, that accomplished redemption for us, and that all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament point straight to Him. We love Christ. We want to see Him more, so help us to see Him in the Old Testament, which can be very hard for us to understand. There's some weird stuff in there, God. We'll admit it. We think it's weird. But God, you don't. You think it's beautiful. And you are so kind to give it to us, so help us to change and help us to see the beauty of sovereign grace woven through the old and new covenants, through the one covenant of grace. And God, I pray that you give us much grace in two two weeks. God, I pray for unity. I ask that you would help me to prepare well and for our people to think biblically and clearly and that you would bring us together on this. And that, God, where we can't get together, I pray that you give us grace and patience and love, such a deep love that it covers a multitude of sins, that it covers our doctrinal disagreements. But I pray that we don't minimize the importance of these disagreements. They're important because they have to do with your word. We shouldn't just say, well, there are some good people on both sides. No, we need to think, God, very carefully about what you want us to do because we love you so much. We just want to do what you want us to do. And we want to take full advantage of all the blessings that you give us and our children in the covenant of grace. So I pray that we think carefully and we think biblically and that you would show us much much grace because we are dull creatures that don't think with heavenly divine wisdom like you do. Please, God, be gracious to Jerusalem, church. Unify us in biblical truth. 
for Christ's sake. Amen.